Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wannabe Entrepreneur, the podcast about what's really like to bootstrap a company. And today we have here uh, Nunu Simaria, the CTO of HelloFresh. He was able to scale this company from five to 650 people. So super exciting to learn more about the journey. He's also now working in Techstars Berlin and he has his own uh, agency uh, that works as uh, giving CTO or providing CTO services to other companies. So in uh, today's interview, we'll be focusing more in the VC-backed companies, how to scale a company. And uh, I'm excited to talk with you, Nuno, about your journey. Uh, Nuno is uh, Portuguese originally, but now living in Berlin, and I'm excited to learn more about you. So welcome to the show, Nuno. Thank you, Tiago. Thank you for having me and for the invite. I am former CTO at HelloFresh, just clarifying that. I, I stepped away from the CTO role last year, and uh, now there's, there's a new CTO, Val, who, who, who's a great guy. I still remain attached to the company in a kind of an advisory role on and off, but then I've, I've moved on to other projects. Yeah, I didn't know that uh, for sure, because you're in your website, the Slow Growth, you have um, HelloFresh as a client, right? Yes. Yeah, so I founded Slow Growth with um, so my co-founder and my, and my wife, Barbara. She's our COO. And what we do is that we help companies scale. So after okay. the entrepreneurial, that is a bootstrapping stage, if you're successful with, with that and you're pursuing kind of a, either a hyper growth trajectory or a trajectory that will require you to to grow fast that usually brings in two technology organizations within the bigger company within the company uh, poses specific challenges and that's what I work with my clients to address I do okay. that either by mentoring coaching advising CTOs and CEOs it's important to me to have a line also with the with, with the people that are steering the company not just right. not just the CTO I do that by taking on interim CTO roles uh, temporarily for my clients um, and and everything in between. So from kind of very consulting kind of work, uh, just uh, advising to actual hands-on managing people right. and, and right. doing the transformation with them. Yeah, got it. And uh, we'll also be talking more uh, in depth about uh, slow growth. But first, I wanted to learn a little bit about you, if you sure. wouldn't mind to share a little bit about your background and how did you come up in uh, in Berlin? When I was, I guess, 18 or 19, I was really um, invested in my band, my sugar metal band, or my new metal band that I had at the time. I was a okay. bass player there. And cool. uh, at some point, the band didn't work out. Uh, and I said, okay, you know what? I spent two years investing in this. I really like computers as well. I know music is not going to be, you know, it's going to be a tough time. So let me try with computers and see what I can do there. So at that time, I went to um, Coimbra and I studied computer science there. I studied there only for a year and then I dropped out of computer science. I really didn't like it. I liked the programming okay. part, but I didn't like all of the other stuff we had to do. And I took on a very different course in my uh, hometown in Aveiro. And it's a course oh, called I love yeah, it. New, new Communication Technologies. Novas okay. Technologies de Comunicação for the Portuguese speakers out there. Mm -hmm. And this was a course that actually it was a little bit of everything. It had a very, an underlying 
communication theory, um, st really strong on communi communication theory and everything that had to do with communication, but also interpersonal communication. We would, do, we would study sociology, anthropology, semiotics. Okay, cool. And then it would have a programming component. At the time, this meant that we were building, we were learning how to build interactive CD-ROMs with Macromedia Director, Flash animations with Macromedia Flash, even before it was mm -hmm. Adobe, and and doing some um, some 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 websites, some dynamic websites with the technologies at the time. Um, this was really what I was looking for, so it really resonated with me much more than the computer science because it was much more, you know, uh, cross-functional. It touched on a lot of things right. from humanities, but also from the sciences and technology. It also was embedded in a department that had music and design. That's where I met my now wife. She mm -hmm. was studying design there. And um, so it was really a, cr a great creative environment. Today, I have colleagues from that course that are cameramen, really good professional cameramen or directors. Mm -hmm. They're working in advertising. Some of them are programmers. Some of them are leading engineering teams like myself. But there's pretty much everyone was able to just we would learn just some of the tools at a kind of a superficial level. Interesting. And then we were encouraged to kind of uh, dive yeah. dive deep into whatever we liked. And that was, I think, key for, and, and still today and throughout my journey, I've got, I got a lot out of the course, more on the communication theory side than actually what I learned on programming. That's so interesting because uh, as you described this course, it doesn't seem that there was a specific career path for for the people right and and you, you are a cto you have people cameramen and, and etc exactly. uh, that's that's very new right i guess in portugal it was at the time also very new and we were trying to copy i from what i understood i was i think the third or the fourth year that this course was running okay so i was still some of my teachers were the people that actually put the course together and what they're trying to do is that they were trying to they were definitely drawing inspiration from the Valley and from San Francisco. Right. We would study, you know, the, the first books that came out on how did Apple come up with their window, with their interface, with their Windows right. system, how, right. how and all of these different things. So very much on the user research as well mm -hmm. and usability it was really, really interesting. Right. And and you you told us that you, you had a band and I think we cannot skip this. So Sugar Metal, <laughs> what is that? New metal, sugar metal, I guess that was a term that you'd call the bands, uh, you know, those late 90s bands like Korn and Deftones. Oh, and right. Yeah. Yeah. I had a, I was a bass player. We had a, there's still some music, on, some songs on YouTube, actually. If you look wow. What's, what was the name of the I'm band? Not gonna, I'm not going to say <laughs> I will search for it. <laughs> Amazing. So, so you come from this more creative side, right? Like. Were you also involved in, in writing the songs? Were you a cover band or, or originals, by the way? We had one cover. We did a cover for Ramp, and it actually came out on, on a music uh, magazine, Pro Musica, which was a... Oh, cool. Ramp was a Portuguese metal band. was mm -hmm. one, of the, one of the famous ones at the time. But we had our own our own musics. No, I wasn't the one coming up with the, with the songs, with the ideas at all. Um, I was just playing bass. And actually, okay. I, I, I take the opportunity to say that here as well, knowing your podcast and kind of what you focus on, I'm not really the entrepreneur in my team. I like, I'm an operator and okay. I like working with visionaries that have a clear vision, a reasonable and, and a, a, a realistic view of the world, but they spotted an opportunity and I like helping those people to move forward. Interesting. I, you know, slow growth was something that I came up with together with my wife, but actually 
it is about enabling others to pursue their yeah. their journeys. And and that was kind of already in the band where I was the bass player. I was trying to be the team the, the team member that was needed playing whatever felt right for the song. So so you you like to have more of this kind of supportive role, but you still like the challenge because you know being part of the band uh, is not something that a lot of people do, right? Uh, people like to play it safe and being even considering as as a career path, which I guess you did for a bit. Uh, is something uh, that not a lot of people do. So can you describe that? Like you, you are not the entrepreneurial type, but you like to support other entrepreneurs. So you have this thing for adventure, isn't it? I am ambitious and I like taking risks. I like learning. Okay. And mm -hmm. actually, in hindsight, I guess one of the reasons that led me to step away from HelloFresh, still with great relationships across the company and, and with, with the whole organization, is that at some point, the learning curve isn't as steep as it used to be. Mm -hmm. And and now that I'm back to being actually quite challenged from the different things that I'm working on um, uh, with different clients, I find that, you know, what really rocks my boat is uh, a steep learning curve, sustain a steep right. learning curve at all times. Right. Um, Got it. So, so that in, in music was there. I've, I've always, so I had, you know, cousins that were musicians and I, I would play instruments since early age. So I, I like doing it. But I also wouldn't compose the songs myself. You know, I like to play with others and, and all of that. So I guess mm -hmm. I guess it, it, these are all the same things. It's just in very different areas. Right, right. And how was the process of uh, kind of breaking up with the band and and going forward? Because the the reason why I ask this is is for entrepreneurs. Normally, when you stop your project, you feel it. it's like a heartbreak kind of thing. Yeah. You know. Was it the same for you? Was it okay? I had no agency in that, meaning that it wasn't my decision to right. to, uh, to to stop it, right? So it was other people in the band that really couldn't couldn't be there anymore for their own personal reasons, right? And we we all studied. It. I was 18, 19, so it wasn't really something yeah, that we could yeah, pursue. Yeah. And also, if I'm being honest, like what you're saying, it is a risky career, of course, not something that I would recommend my daughters today to pursue yeah. as a professional career. Especially but in Portugal, right? I mean, it's so hard. I, I wasn't really too worried about that. I So, because probably because I was still too young. Yeah, actually, I, I know, I think probably one of the few, well, I don't know much about metal, but one of the few bands that really make, made it in Portugal is Moonspell. Yeah, you know absolutely, it. of course. Uh, and the drummer, uh, Mike, uh, was my taekwondo instructor. <laughs> Quite yeah, fun. you also uh, have you always have to have a second job at least yeah. if you're in a band, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, I but I think they they really made it actually. I think they were, they were able to sustain their yeah. absolutely one spell as big yeah. as it gets, I guess. Yeah. So okay, very interesting path, and uh, then you you had this course where you learned basics yeah. or like communication and a lot of things yeah and then i so i had already by accident you know i was also into uh, fortunately my my father has also made a point of of always since there were pcs of all of having a pc at home and kind of encouraging both me and my sister to do it to use it and and i've always spent a long time just figuring out computers and and gaming so i had definitely had an affinity with it um with, with computers in general um, and then with during the course, I went and I I went to do a first an Erasmus exchange, so studying in Salamanca, Spain. Mm -hmm. And then there I met, actually, I made some friends in Salamanca. One of them, Pedro, who was then my partner at Hoplite, at, at a software agency we built together. 
um, he was actually the one who really taught me how to code properly and, and taught me how to do right. things in, in mm-hmm. the right the right yeah. way and at a at a level that I wasn't used to. So, mm-hmm. did you like it then? Because you didn't like to learn it in while you're trying in Coimbra. Uh, what so changed? the problem with Coimbra is that it was extremely distant. You would have hundreds of people taking a calculus two class, and they would go they would range from eighteen years old to twenty eight years, years old. And I would also right. look around and I would see these really these grown men um, that were still studying and still two or three years away from graduating on a computer science degree that would traditionally be five years if you did it all together, but it Mm -hmm. would more on average be like eight, nine years. Mm -hmm. And that was the path that I felt, okay, no, that is not for me. And also the learning curve wasn't there because the way that I was being taught wasn't for me. I was one in many. I was for the first time living alone in a party city or university city so i wasn't really attuned to the learning curve when i came to the to this other course it was a much smaller group with teachers that were really eloquent about what they would Mm -hmm. talk they would really and and you just listen and and be in awe of their of their wisdom which was kind of the more traditional teacher that you'd find uh in coimbra more academics you know there's a more traditional uh, tradition on that city so it was less as mm-hmm. engaging, I guess. Yeah, I actually want to you want to know your um, thoughts on this because I I studied um, electric engineering computers in in Technico, so in Lisbon, which is also a very kind of classic university. Uh, and you just mentioned like you're learning calculus and a lot of these you know subjects that you don't really need as a software developer. Um, and nowadays, more and more, you see because there's a huge demand for software development you know, these kind of six-month courses and people like learning the JavaScript super fast and HTML and so on. Do you think that this basis, this calculus, is actually needed for a software developer, for a real engineer, or can we just skip that? I, I think it, it's somewhere in the middle. Um, the, the answer lies somewhere in the middle. Going with calculus, algebra, advanced physics, early on for you to go and be, uh, you know, a junior engineer building a CRUD API or whatever, it's not, um, it's it's too much information. You do not need that information. There is something around mathematics and understanding mathematics or the scientific method, critical thinking, understanding how to break down a problem into all of its components and addressing them that goes along, that are the right tools for you to have as a programmer. Right. The, the, the usual thing that happens to us all once you know how to code a little bit, the more junior you are, the more senior you think you are. Right. So there are people that come out of the boot camp with a lot more knowledge that they came in and they feel very comfortable with the, what they've learned. And then they also nowadays, maybe less so right now than it used to be maybe six months ago, they are going to go and find a job that is much better rewarded than any other job that would be there for them on, yeah. on the job mm-hmm. market. So there are strong signs to that person that it's telling you, you got this, you're the king, you know this, right? Right. And then I see that some of these people, a lot of them, I'd say, get into these companies, then they get kind of a humility lesson. They see, oh, there's all of these other people that know a lot more than me. Yeah. And then there's two reactions. Either you're going to just be a sponge and absorb and listen and learn with your seniors and with your peers, and right. you take an approach, a humble approach of always be learning and all. Always, there's always something to, to learn from any situation. 
or the confidence that you got is going to be the, the end of it. Meaning that if you feel that there's that there's nothing to learn, and I unfortunately do find that a lot nowadays in in, in, in the more young engineers still, but maybe that's a lesson that a lesson that they're still that they still have to learn. That mentality might not be there. Right. And and so, you know, there is this, I think that what makes up for a great engineer is definitely there is a part of that that is absolutely technical acumen. But there, there's a lot more than just a pure technical acumen on a specific language. There is a whole attitude towards learning, towards being humble with what mm-hmm. you know, towards managing your own certainties in a way that kind of you're not, you keep yourself in check. And that is, I think, the healthier approach and the more sustainable yeah, approach in the long run. Totally agree. Yeah, totally agree. So it's not really about uh, your background, where you studied, but it's more about this mentality of actually keeping an open mind, right? Because we learn everything on Google, right? As a software developer, that's the only thing we need. And and with other our peers, we actually I, I've learned some some basics on on my courses, which were important. But most of the things I've learned, I mean, I didn't even know Git when I first started my first job, and I learned everything there. They still in, uh, hired me and everything. Um, so I, I, I totally agree with you. Tell me about how you come up in Germany yeah. working for HelloFresh. Yeah, so so after I went to, to to this exchange in Salamanca, Spain, and then also stayed there to work on my first year, I maybe this is also kind of a different starting point than you'd find today in engineering. My first job in Spain, I was a junior engineer, a Java engineer, and I was making minimum wage minimum wage in Spain like it's really yeah so it was in 2003 2004 and maybe I wasn't picking my jobs properly but <laughs> I wasn't alone there was there was you know what you'd get at that at that level um so that is not the experience that people have today right you don't go into a junior engineering role and get minimum wage um, Not at all. Yeah. <laughs> so I stay there, worked in a couple of team in, of companies, and then with this friend that I already knew, Pedro, and another one, Rodrigo, we uh, both Spanish, both from Salamanca. We created our own software agency called Hoplite Software. Okay. It grew. I was there for seven years as a partner and as a developer. We grew the team. I think at peak we were ten people in the team. We would build software, custom-made software, usually for the university was a big client, the Salamanca University, for, you know, scheduling, for how do students submit their papers and all of these different things. So the, the university was starting to get digitized and, and a couple of other clients that were, you know, that would ask for custom-made software. Right. At some point... What was your role? Set, what, what, is your, what was your I role was in co-founder, the- I was project manager, team lead, depending. We would kind of, each of the founders would usually manage one client or several accounts, let's say. And then we would we would kind of work together to deliver that. Okay. Uh, there was one of our partners, Pedro, who kind of, who I learned a lot from. Um, he was kind of the, the, the CEO, you could, you could say that. So he was kind of calling the shots and he was the, by far the more senior to us. Right. So we were all learning from him. But, you know, it was also my experience of being a founder, of being, having to worry about, you know, are we going to have money to pay for, for, for our uh, employees? And then will, it, will we have enough money to yeah. pay ourselves? And that was a part of it where I felt, okay, I like parts of this work, but I don't like all of the parts of this work. So I decided then to go back to Portugal, 
also I was starting uh, to date my now wife who was in Portugal and I took a little bit of a sabbatical. I went back to the university. I worked for Sapo Labs. So Sapo, as you know, is a... Yeah, big website. What, what could you say? It's the Portuguese Google. I guess yeah. that's a good yeah. way to call it. <laughs> it's true. Um, and they had a lab, uh, kind of an R&D thing, uh, at the same department that I had studied. And I worked there for a year, uh, helping them out in building a social network for students. It still exists today. It's called Sapo Campus. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and then I started, and then I, I wanted to be closer to my wife who was, who was living in Porto. And then Rocket Internet had just opened a tech center, a tech hub in Porto. So Rocket Internet, it was, for those of you who don't know, was a, a, a big VC in Berlin. They started with, their founders uh, famously started selling ringtones. They were the founders of Jamba and they ah. were quite successful with that. And then they started... Rocket Internet, basically, their business model was to most of the companies that they started would be inspired by companies that were getting started in the Valley, and they would go and start those companies in other markets, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, with positioning themselves first in other markets outside of the US. Um, And that has, you know, that has led to companies like uh, Delivery Hero, like... um, Zalando also started with them, uh-huh. if I'm if I'm not mistaken, at least in part. Okay. So so they are a big part of the the they were big initiators of the Berlin tech scene as it is today. Um, they're they're they are controversial figures. You know, there's a lot of people that wouldn't probably wouldn't have nice things to say about that that crowd. But I think that the the impact is is extraordinary. Like mm-hmm. ten years later, to see like. What the alumni of Rocky or Rocket became, I think that you can see that a lot of people that are today in Berlin in, in, in like senior positions have in some way or another been influenced by what happened by Rocket and, and what they what they did. Okay, okay, really cool. So with Rocket, I, I moved to Porto. I I'm closer to to my girlfriend now. Um, I'm uh, going to start working in Porto, but actually the first day, actually the second day. I fl- I flew to Berlin to get training uh, on right. on their technology. So it you're working really... as a as a software developer, right? As a software developer, I actually I started uh, as a team lead, as a PHP team, team lead. lead. Yeah, okay. that was the the position. So right. I was already and... I already had people reporting to me there because I had this experience from having the company. They felt well, you're more exactly than, yeah. And you said the company you worked for seven years in that company, no? At Hoplite, yes. So the company you founded, yeah, your... yeah. Okay. Then one year in Portugal, then came to Berlin for that training. To be honest, that training never happened. They just dropped me with a laptop and said, "We're going to huh. start this company." This company was called Pay Eleven. Uh, it was a kind of a, a Square-like comp- company, so uh, mobile payments on your phone so that you can collect mobile payments on your phone. Um, and they were later, after I left, they were acquired by SumUp, which is maybe a company that yeah, you have yeah. heard of, yeah, right? Yeah, definitely. So they did the same thing as SumUp. They were competitors at the time. So I helped, when I joined Rocket, I came in to start the backend, the PHP backend for um, for Pay11 as for their first demos and their first proof of concept. The CTO at Pay11 was uh, at the time Rafael, uh, who was um, a, a great uh, a great influence on me as well. 
um, Rafael Otero, and he um, basically what happened was that okay, I landed in Berlin. I was for five weeks really working hard with two other guys that came with me, also from Portugal, uh, who were my team. Um, mm -hmm. We were really working hard in at, in this new Pay Eleven project, and I fell in love with the city immediately. I finally found the place that I wanted to live in, and I told my girlfriend. Oh. When I when we go back, we're gonna get married, and if you want, please let's all move to Berlin. She really, um, she really uh, bet on me, so she moved. She decided. She said yes before ever visiting Berlin, but she just assumed. Yeah, I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure I'll like it. How did you convince her to, you know, trade the <laughs> the sun? <laughs> I don't think I can talk about that in this program. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm joking. Um, there was, you know, Portugal wasn't in enough. If you recall correct, if you recall at that time, we had just heard our prime minister tell us that, you know, if we wanted opportunities, we could go outside. Oh, yeah, 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 I remember. We had the 2008 economic crisis yeah. was hitting the lowest point uh, by then in Portugal. So the perspectives of staying, even as an engineer, a successful engineer, were not the same as, as coming here. I'll yeah, give you an example. I'll give you the actual, I can give you a comparison. Moving to Berlin, working directly for Pay11, so I, I didn't move to work for Rocket then, I moved, I moved directly and worked for the company that I was helping start with Rocket. Working directly for Pay11, doing the exact same job, allowed me to come to Berlin and make triple the money yeah. net that me and my wife were doing together in Portugal. Yeah. So that was the difference. That's yeah. not the difference right now. That is not the, there is still a gap, but the there gap is, still, isn't this big. <laughs> But I, I can tell you as well, because my first job, the one I told you that I didn't even know Git, was at Trivago in Dusseldorf. Uh -huh. And they were giving me 45k, which yeah. is something that I cannot, it's really hard to get now after like seven years of experience yeah. Uh, yeah. here in Portugal. In Portugal, so right. yeah. it's it's absurd. Yeah, that for the money, I, I totally understand. It, it's a completely different world. Um, and you know, I was already getting to my 30s. I mean, the party time, I partied everything I had to party in Spain, because yeah. if you want to party, that's a great place. Salamanca <laughs> is a great city. It's a university city. So I was really looking to, you know, getting married. Uh, yeah. We wanted to have a family. And and Berlin is, you know, also so child-friendly and so family-friendly. Yeah. Also very party kind of cities. You know? As well. You can you can find whatever yeah. it's your like, you can find it in yeah. Berlin. Uh, there's, there's, there's stuff for everyone. Yeah. So, so is that what is that what you liked in uh, in Berlin? So, for my experience in Berlin is that it's really completely different than Germany at all. Uh, it's very creative, very artsy, uh, a lot of tech scene as well, but also very kind of confused and a little bit dirty. Uh, so, what really you know? Why do you like it so much? So many different things, um, but. It's a sweet for us. I, I, I'll say for me, but I would assume for us, Southern Europeans, it's much more organized than what you used to. At the same time, it's not like German, the Red Munich level or yeah. Hamburg. You know, it's not as organized as the rest of Germany. If a German comes to Berlin and he feels, like, what is this? It's like the Wild West. Um, yeah. So, but but for for me, it was really a sweet spot of better, more organized people. People that are willing to bet more on my abilities because that right. was apparent in terms monetary wise, but then um, you know a place that that you can that you can hang out and that you can 
safe feels really safe. Yeah. I was in a in a shady hostel for five weeks in a you know in a in a street with prostitution and all of this, but still would feel safer at any yeah. point of the night. Then sometimes, you know, just walking around Porto in a, in a well-lit area. Yeah, so. I, I totally get it. Yeah, it's, yeah. Germany is extremely safe. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so there were a lot of things uh, um, in it for, for, for me. So it was really a no-brainer and, and it was ultimately the right move, I guess. Mm-hmm. You convinced your uh, wife to come. After those five weeks, I went back home, uh, got married, then came back. And for a while, I was going back and forth. And then, so this was April when I first came. And then by November, I, I had already moved. And in November, my wife moved in. And you're still working for uh, Rocket Rocket Labs, right? No. Um, so with Rocket, uh, I mean, I have the experience. Uh, I, I had the experience with them. Um, I learned a lot. Then Pay11 was a Rocket company. HelloFresh was a Rocket-funded company. Okay. And a lot of the companies that I ended up working with at some point had some influence from Rocket, but Rocket right now has a different business model. They're not building companies anymore. They have other types of services that they're uh, that they're uh, selling, and, and okay. so it's okay. Um, yeah, not not it's a different setup now. All right. So, how did you um, come up in HelloFresh? So, by at some point, Rafael, my boss at Pay11, uh, his long-term plan was to build a Java backend, not a PHP one. PHP was mm. just, you know, the bootstrappy thing. Right. So, at some point, he was, he we had already moved a good chunk of work to Java, and he introduced me to Dominic, the global, still the global CEO at HelloFresh, who was looking for a CTO at the time. I coincidentally, I was working whenever I would sit in the Porto office and I would go to Porto. I had the Pay11 team was in one desk and the HelloFresh team was on the other desk, meaning on this Porto Rocket Tech Center, the, the HelloFresh was already being built and I knew the team that was doing it. They had actually traveled to me to Berlin on the first time. So I already knew about the team and about the company and I had already mm. said, this is the best company at Rocket. This is the great idea. This is the customer that I would be a customer of. This is the company I would be a customer of. I love the, the, the concept. Um, totally, like, I'd be all in on it. And then, you know, coincidentally, they're looking for a CTO, I guess, throughout their, the Rocket Network. Raphael picked it up and he said, hey, why don't you go and interview for this job? And that was that's how I got my first CTO gig. So, Raphael, if you're listening, thanks for that <laughs> referral. I've already thanked him in person many times. But that was, um, yeah, that was a, a great introduction. Then I got to meet the founders, right? And then I saw that three great founders, Dominic, Thomas, and at the time, Jessica, who then had to, who then moved to, to Norso, um, who were just extremely just focused on, on getting this company out there. They had a clear idea. They had the economics. They, they had everything. They were lacking somebody, but they had no, they couldn't get tech to work. Right. So I really, I felt that, okay, I can come in and I can help the, I can make these guys not worry about tech. Um, so, so I, I, yeah. I, I went in. So what, what was the idea of HelloFresh back then? Was, was it still the same to provide this kind of package meals that people can just order and they get it, they can cook it at home? Yeah. So recipe kits with the right, with the right amounts of ingredients with no leftovers uh, yeah, that was the concept since the beginning. 
it was a weird concept at the time. It was actually quite hard for us to educate our audience yeah. into what is this. So a lot at the beginning, there was a lot of door-to-door sales and a lot of stands outside because there was an effort to just educate the public into what this was. Were you involved in that process as well or were you just focusing on tech? Yeah, purely focused on tech. I was always involved in the fact that I was a very good customer of HelloFresh, even before. Right. So as soon as we came to Berlin, we started ordering it. I'd love the product. It did wonders for us. because why, why I was like co- it? I was cooking at home, so my wife didn't cook at the time. So I was the one cooking, but of course, and she was the one doing the shopping. And this was not a good match, match yeah. right? She didn't know where to shop. And then I have to cook whatever with whatever I had there. So for us, it was really a nice, a nice, um, a nice setup, a nice solution. Right, right. Uh, yeah, so interesting. So what what was the challenge, the technical challenge of HelloFresh uh, back then? Back then, the technical challenge was that the platform that they had kicked off HelloFresh with was the same platform that Rocket had kicked off pretty much every company, the platform that we had used to kick off, to kick off Pay11 as well. So this was a kind of a white brand um, solution, right. which would provide you with regular e-commerce uh, ability, uh, e-commerce features. Mm-hmm. What that team that was already working at HelloFresh in Porto was doing was building in a subscription model into this into this framework. The framework was called Alice and Bob. And a lot of people in Berlin, if they're my age, they'll have heard about mm-hmm. it probably. Because Alice was the front-end side. It was a Yee a ye framework website okay. in PHP. And then Bob was the back-end of that, which was a Zen framework, but also PHP website, okay. PHP application. And this was not a good fit for Hel- for HelloFresh. It was bloated in areas where it didn't need it to be like product catalog. Our product catalog was, because it was made for e-commerce. We didn't need a big product catalog. We could have mm-hmm. just a very simple menus, set of three, four right. products. That was it. Uh, and then on the subscription part, on the recurring payments and uh, and how you manage subscriptions, how you generate orders from subscriptions, all of that, it had been kind of done, you know, uh, as a prototype or as a proof of concept. Right, right. So there was a lot around at the beginning. There was just a lot about just firefighting and getting this. The servers were also kind of, you know, misbehaving, yeah. etc. So just making sure that just things are working to the best of our abilities. And then from that point, slowly but surely starting to mutate that platform into something that HelloFresh uh, actually needed. In, initially, you started by hiring people. Uh, were you like coding it yourself? I joined to manage then a team of five people that were already there. And I brought okay. my 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 great friend, Andrea, with me. He also joined the same day as a front-end engineer. So I guess I had hired already one person even before I joined. Mm-hmm. And but the first two three years was a really a lean and mean team. Uh, we were clear, like the strategy was: so we have limited runway. Uh, we're not going to scale uh, until we have the proper runway. So we need to just make sure that with the with the people that we have, we can do our best. Right. So we remained a team of up to we grew up to nine. I would say on the first three years, mm-hmm. and then late 2016 was when. You know, Dominic, Dominic and I had a, a conversation around, so Dominic being the CEO, around, okay, we actually have a good runway. We actually see the midterm now. We have, you know, good funding. We have a growing customer base. We have an operation, operations that are efficient, etc. So how do we scale this? 
And then from that uh, year, we probably kicked off the year with 10, ended the year, I don't want to say the wrong numbers here, but probably ended up the year with 30 or something like that. And then the next year we were 100. Wow. So then it just, it it was then crazy times. Yeah. Yeah. For three years, were you getting a, a good paycheck or were you getting like the startup paycheck uh, situation? I've, I've always, I mean, I, I couldn't complain. I, In my initial conversation with Dominic, I can share this. I don't think there's a problem. I actually asked for all of my compensation to be in cash and not equity Okay. because I was young and dumb. Uh, and he made a point of saying, no, that's actually, that's, that's too much cash and you will want equity. Why wouldn't you want it? For him, this didn't really make any sense. You're going to get equity. You're going to have less money. (laughs) said, you know what? I really want to be a CTO. That's what really, that I, when I moved to Berlin, I, I had this, you know, being ambitious. I did have this thing. I'm going to be a CTO in two years. And this was basically shortening that one year or even less than that. So it was all according to plan. I wouldn't let this opportunity go. I was going to get a raise anyway from moving from a team lead to a CTO position. Mm. It was a matter of, so in that, at that sense, I wasn't really optimizing for cash. I was optimizing for like, what's the career path that I'm going right. for. But why, why do you want to become a CTO? So ultimately it was, I had realized already by working with Raphael, my current, my boss at Pay11, that this is what I want to do. Cause this gives me like, I can manage technology like I like, but I don't have to worry about, you know, the HR, stuff or the operation stuff or finding customers doing sales and all of that right so it really felt and then that was you know as high as it gets on that exactly got it so that's where that's where i want to position in the in the scope that you want to exactly in the scope that i want to work on okay and and why did you didn't want equity and only money what was the reason and look i was i was looking to 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 start a family um Equity is great when it becomes valuable, but actually the chances of it becoming valuable, there's so many startups that fall along the way before they even become something before and that don't have a successful exit. Um, So until that becomes reality, equity is paper. You can't feed your your, your kids paper. Of course, knowing the trajectory of HelloFresh, if that would have been my choice, I would have regretted it immensely. I would have been banging yeah. my head against the wall <laughs> because, because, you know, HelloFresh has had a stellar trajectory in the end, mm-hmm. right? So so then, of course, that that initial equity went a long way uh, into into providing me a much better, much better compensation later on. Mm-hmm. But it could have been that it wasn't yeah. anything and I was just missing out on some cash. So you already told, told us that uh, you point out HelloFresh as being one of the top companies in the in the rocket labs but were you sure uh, or how sure were you that okay this can really grow or you just mostly focus no i want to be cto i'm building my resume uh if this works great but probably won't but yeah. at least i have my CTO. i i did not go in you know thinking that it would be as big as it became Neither would I think that I would be capable of doing that. Um, going from five to 650 people in technology alone in a company that is 20,000 people by now or even more than that. 20,000? Yeah. Wow. We have, and so that means actually technology is less than, much less than 10% of the, of the, of the overall team, right? right? Yeah. Is it a tech and company still, even? Is it, do you consider it a tech company? What is a tech company? Oh, now we go. <laughs> so that 
I can answer that question if you want. <laughs> you can talk about companies that have a purely technical product. I would say Spotify is probably a company like that, right. where yeah. what they do, sell shipping software. bits, streaming bits, uh, is what they sell, right? So I would call that a tech product company, purely tech product company. Any other company, and a company like HelloFresh, the product is the food. Right. We could have a stellar website, stellar UX experience. If the tomatoes are rotten when they leave your doors, when they get to your doorstep, that's still a, a, a bad product experience, right? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you, so that's that's how I've always thought about it. So I think I like to talk about tech-enabled companies, which is nowadays every product. company needs to be enabled by technology, mm -hmm. and the role of technology is to enable the company, not to be kind of self-serving in a pursuit of perfect technology stack mm -hmm. or whatever. And I think that as, as engineers, as technology, sometimes we miss that. Sometimes we forget that our job here is to delight the end customer, not to build the perfect piece of code, mm, right? We tend to obsess a lot about tech that, that is sometimes irrelevant to the greater, grander scheme of things. Right. So, but to answer your question, no, HelloFresh is not a tech company. It's a company that has only, in my view, of course, extremely biased view, it's a business model and a company that could only grow as big as it got due to tech. tech. Right. You wouldn't be able to do that operating it manually. Yeah. So tech is definitely a key part of the company and a strategic part of the company. Does that mean that everyone you know knows what a squad is or knows what a, or does a stand up in the morning? No, but. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. that's yeah. a different thing. Yeah, yeah, I got it. It's not a tech company in the sense that it does not make money selling software, but yeah, it's enabled It's enabled by tech. Exactly. That's, okay. A lot of other companies, when this happens, tend to focus more on the product and put tech aside, right? How did you convince, was it easy to convince the managing team that it was also important to hire developers to focus in good code or was that a challenge you're 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 getting to the topics i really like to talk about and so i'm sorry if this is going to feel a little bit like a rant but i guess that's not on them to decide and that was always kind of obvious to me my ceo my ceo etc what i'm expecting from them is i want to know what their expectations are what is it that you need from technology or what is it that you need the business to do and, and understand with them, how can technology help? If I need to have, you know, 10 services, if I need to refactor something and move from PHP to Go, for instance, which is something we did at HelloFresh, because we have to, because PHP had severe limitations that Go would, would kind of solve. Your backend is Go? Your backend now is Go, it like? is between PHP and Go, it has, oh, there's cool. still the old, the old Alice is gone now. Uh, but Bob is still there as well. So it's kind of a big thing, a big set right. of systems. You have the together. legacy and the new system. That has always been, you know, so I don't need to ask my CEO if he's okay with me moving to Go. He doesn't care. And plus, why would I care about his opinion? I'm the technologist here, right? So right. if I have to go and do whatever I have to do to make sure that I'm securing the company's strategic path, that's the job of the CTO. If the job mm -hmm. of the CEO is to secure the company's long-term survivability and, you know, uh, sustainable, sustainable growth. Mm -hmm. The job of the CTO is to enable that within technologies, to have a technological stack and organization that can sustain that in the long term. And I feel nowadays that we put a lot of, engineering especially, puts a lot of responsibility 
and defers a lot of responsibility to, for instance, product owners in the form of saying, hey, I can do this to you in one day without tests or in two days with tests. Right. Of course, the <laughs> job of the product owner is always to respond one day, please, if you don't mind. Um, and it is, and it, it is not the job of the engineer to put that option on the table. The job of the engineer is to just give, if, first of all, I would argue also that giving estimations, uh, there's be maybe better ways to manage software delivery. But if you're going to give an estimation, give an estimation based on this is what I, the time that I need to deliver the feature you need following our quality guidelines. Right. I'm not going to put on the table doing less than that. Mm -hmm. So I think that sometimes we kind of shy away from this responsibility by asking too many things from management and management doesn't understand, doesn't care, or you just did the wrong pitch. So you don't get the answers that you're looking for. And then we tend to also otherize ourselves and say, oh, you know, the manager doesn't know anything about technology, so we're not scaling things. No, mm -hmm. we're not scaling things because you decided you didn't make you didn't make it your responsibility to scale. Right. And, and these guidelines, because I guess... As you said, some developers will focus most of their time trying to make the most beautiful code. Yeah. Some will make shitty code, whatever. Who defines these guidelines in a company? Is it a CTO? I think that's the job. I'm not saying that they are easy to define or easy even, sometimes they're not even easy to articulate. So to put into a text or into an email or into a conversation you have. But I think, I think that that's the job of the CTO. And I'll give you an example at HelloFresh. Uh, coming from HelloFresh, so um, and and I see that, and I try to apply that also in my in, in in all of my clients. This would be an example for any subscription business. If you are a subscription business, you have an amount of customers that are already subscribed, mm -hmm. and then you have customers that are still coming in via your checkout form. It, at HelloFresh and in other subscription businesses that I've worked with, there's if you're a subscription business, there's probably a point in time where you're going to create the orders, the next set of orders for the next uh, delivery of the subscriptions. Right. If, we, if the checkout was down, we would be missing out on new customers for a short period of time. Mm -hmm. But there is a big pool of customers we already have. If there, would, if there was an issue on that script that creates the new orders, that could potentially affect all of our customers. That's a much bigger issue. Right. So just being able to articulate what is our risk appetite in each of our pro in each of our product areas mm -hmm. and how happy are we with you know playing it fast and loose or actually being very diligent about about quality. Mm -hmm. And it should not I don't think I mean unless you're just have a very small product or something or working a small team there's probably different answers to different parts of your product and of your of your user journey, right? Right. So um So yeah, that's that's kind of how I how I look at it. I, I think it's in and, and this nuance, it's it's really important that you pass on to the team. I think it's the teams really benefit from hearing from you not certainties, but hearing from you your your train of thought and, and how you're thinking about things. Mm. So that you can then give more sophisticated answers, but also Bottom-up management is only possible if, if you let the people in, in the bottom um, make, make the right decisions. And, and for that, you need to give them some form of a decision-making framework in the form of this is how I make decisions. So please right. make the right, right. The same. Use yeah. the same framework. Use the, yeah. same, use the same framework. Okay, makes a little sense. I think, I think we could talk for hours, but just to finish here the, 
the storyline of um, HelloFresh, you, you start growing in, in a kind of exponential way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what, what were, and you even told me, like, you didn't know if you're ready for it. Yeah. Um, yeah. What were the mistakes you made? growing the company too many of course (laughs) i guess the the main ones let's say well there was a there was a big mistake i i made but it it was that i didn't uh, something i didn't do when i moved to HelloFresh. my my rafael at the time actually gave me a very good advice around something that i should implement to make sure that i was well positioned in case of uh, issues an architectural thing that i didn't do that i quite regretted it was basically to have a log on the at the ingress level and when URLs come in, when requests come in, even before you process it. So that's a very technical mistake there, right? Very technical <laughs> one. I've made many mistakes. I think the, the, but, but most of them were around when you're managing a growing number of people, sometimes right. it's hard to understand if the understanding you have of the team is the same that everyone else in the organization, right? In your technology. Yeah. Sometimes you have to make decisions that are around, okay, because we are experiencing this problem, I'm, let's reorganize this way or let's adopt this new initiative or this new way of working or whatever. In, in, in some of these were hit or miss. Some of these decisions, I, 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 I'm very proud of them and they were really, I felt, I felt really smart by making them. But also, for instance, I'll give you one. When we moved into the so-called Spotify model, right. um, Spotify was very strong about the fact that there shouldn't be um, engineering managers leading the teams. So they kind of had the people management decoupled from the actual software delivery teams. Hmm. And that was something that I was very much against, but I kind of let my team uh, convince me otherwise. So uh, the first iteration that we did on our organization, moving to the Spotify model, we had no team leads and we would put that onus on the tribe lead. That was really the wrong thing to do. I think everyone's entitled to a boss meaning that everyone's entitled to come into work every day and impress their bosses. Mm -hmm. And when your boss is working really far away from you, you can't do that. And also if your team lead is not your boss, that also creates, you know, other, other kinds of situations. So I like having my delivery aligned with my, and my organization aligned with reporting lines, meaning that the engineering manager is usually the team lead of the team and all of the engineers in that team report to the engineering manager, who is also coding, uh, by the way, Mm. if possible. And then it took me a while to get there. I guess the silver lining of that was that there's this thing called the reverse Conway maneuver. So the Conway's law says that organizations will build software that mirror the communication structures inside that organization. Meaning if you have two teams building software, you're probably, they'll end up building probably two monoliths with a small interface to communicate. Mm -hmm. So the, co- the whole concept around the Spotify model and these types of models is to apply the reverse Conway maneuver, which is you first design the organization in the way that you want your architecture to look like. So okay. this is the whole concept behind Agile at scale uh, over the last years. And it's, all, and it's pretty much about this, this concept. And, and I agree that that's the right concept to pursue. I, in my experience, I haven't seen anything that works as well as that. But it was then interesting to say, okay, then basically the organization is the system. Let's not make big bang changes. We did one the first time we moved to spot to that Spotify model, mm-hmm. which was first mm-hmm. of January, we all start working like this. But okay. from that point onwards, it was about iterating right. CICD at an organizational level, yeah. <laughs> not on a technical level. Mm-hmm. 
And that allow you know, you're getting feedback, you're talking to people, you're saying, does this work now? And then ultimately, it's not about the mistakes you make. It's about, okay, as long as you make a decision, if it's going to be a mistake, most of the mistakes, as Bezos says, they're two-way doors. You can come back to them. You can make another decision and, you know, right, re-decide right. that and make a better decision later. Make a new At release. least the bad decision allowed you to learn yeah, that that was yeah, a bad yeah, idea and yeah. then you can move forward. And this was also a mindset that was at HelloFresh since the beginning, this experimentation, being objective-driven, not being, you know, not a blaming culture, but rather something, okay, we screwed up. What can we do better? So the retrospective sentiment was a mm. constant, I think, and is a constant at HelloFresh. So that made it really easy for me to be able to, you know, manage my mistakes and say, hey, this one didn't work. Let's make it work better. And 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 also yeah. the team appreciated it. The team appreciated that at least sometimes without making the right decisions, the fact that there was a wrong decision being made, it allowed the team to say, okay, that wasn't the right one. Let's try again. Yeah. Yeah. Being open as well so that the team knows that you're human, right? Because yeah, exactly. you are also learning this alone. Did you read a lot of books? Like... How did you? I wish I wish Accelerate would have come out ten years ago. So Accelerate is a is a book based on all of the research done by the State of DevOps report over the last ten years, and I highly recommend to everyone. In Accelerator, okay. Accelerate. Accelerate. It's called Accelerate: The Science Behind DevOps and High Performing Teams, or something. Okay, like that. I will add it to the show notes. As a as a last question, right, to kind yeah. of conclude a little bit your story here. How did you learn uh, or what, what do you suggest for other people to learn how to become better CTOs? And uh, what are your goals for, uh, for the next years? I learned a lot by telling the team. So just by telling the team every time that anyone would onboard, I would tell them, this is the biggest team I've ever managed since you joined. Because it was. There was always one more person in the <laughs> team when that person would join. Okay. So, you know, bear with me if I don't have all the certainties. This was my attitude, I think, and it still is today. Um, the other thing was that at some point I had some peers, but honestly, I, I didn't spend too much time with my peers, but at some point I did uh, meet Brendan Bank, who had been a, a CTO at Booking for nine years. Mm -hmm. And it was good. The, that was very uh, inspiring to me because basically he came in, he spent three days with me and just, you know, assessing the whole organization. I was just asking him questions. You guys have this problem, this problem, this problem. Oh, cool. And basically, I understood that the things that I was trying were actually not that off from what the problems he had seen, the solutions he had tried. And then he was able to tell me, yeah, that works now. But in two years time, or when you get to a bigger point, that's not going to work anymore because of this, that, the other. So that was extremely valid. At the time, just having that validation was really important. It gave me easily two or three more years where I was had the confidence of saying, okay, I don't know what I'm doing, but also Brendan didn't either. Yeah. So. That's good. So, you know, not taking yourself too serious, I think, is always a good idea. Um, yeah. And, and yeah. Not, not, not making other people think that, you know, they should take you too serious. I think it's also a good idea. That yeah. way you always show the have, vulnerability you know, as well, a little bit. Show right? vulnerability. And, you know, to, to kind of close the loop, that was a key thing in good communication, good oratory, good speeches. They're about also being vulnerable in public and being comfortable with that. And that was a lesson that I've learned um, in new technologies, new communication technologies that, that stuck with me. Yeah. yeah. Nuno, thank you so much uh, for sharing. You, I think we could talk for, for hours about I, the tech I, stuff and, and so on. I have on. to say, yes, I could stay here for another hour. Yeah. Unfortunately, unfortunately I can't, but it was, it was really a pleasure to, to, uh, to get to know you and get to talk to you.
Yeah, same. So, I will link uh, your company in the show notes. Uh, yeah. Slow growth and well, uh, then maybe one last pitch. I'm yeah, running a CTO masterclass soon in June, and I'll probably run more. It's a masterclass for B series and C series CTOs uh, who are looking to scale their companies. I'll send uh, you I'll send you the link to put on the yeah. show notes. There's a cohort that's about to, to get closed. There's a few spots left, but I'll be running more. So I'm I'm I would be happy to have any CTOs out there that are start any entrepreneurs that are now going to to scale up to get them on on the course. So inter so you're targeting entrepreneur wannabe CTOs or people that are already CTOs and they just uh, want to yeah. go to the next level. People that are that are growing as CTOs so that are facing now a scale up journey and that and that need help with that. May not feel, you know, may need some validation or just somebody to tell them that yeah, things are not easy but here are some ideas on things you could try. I will uh, add everything in the show notes and uh, Nunu accepted to do a second part of this interview where we'll be focusing on his life after leaving HelloFresh. So the company is building now slow growth and also his work around Techstars, the famous accelerator in Berlin. So we'll dive more deep into the startup world and I think it will be really, really exciting. If you are a new listener, this is the Wannabe Entrepreneur podcast. I've been narrating my own journey as an entrepreneur for more than a year now and I've been interviewing so many entrepreneurs and indie makers along the way so just make sure to check out the older episodes I'm sure you'll like them besides that if you want to become an entrepreneur indie maker want to meet like-minded people join us in the WB space it's a virtual community for entrepreneurs and it costs $10 per month and you have all the support that you need to succeed with your projects. The link will also be in the description. Besides that, share this with your friends or if you have any questions, make sure to follow me and send me a DM on Twitter at WBE Podcast. This was another wannabe entrepreneur. See you next time.